listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now this week's sermon from the series Identity, a study on the book of Ephesians. son told us and taught us to to pray in such a way, our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be hallowed. May it be revered. May it be glorified. May it be known. And that is where we start this morning, wanting you to be known, wanting you to be seen as glorified and, and awesome and majestic and exalted. And so, Father, whatever we do from now on, today and beyond, Lord, let your name be hallowed. Let your name be hallowed as I teach your scripture. Let the church be built up so that we hallow your name, so that we, we make known the manifold wisdom of God to the nations and so that we glorify you in the church. May your name be hallowed. I cannot do that. I am broken and empty and I am a, re- a rebel by nature. And I need this text to be reminded today, Lord, of what a new walk, why it's necessary for us. And so just speak through me, a broken man who has nothing apart from you to say to anybody. And build your church, Lord Jesus. That's what I ask. I pray that your spirit would fall fresh on me so that your name might be hallowed. So that Jesus may be glorified in his church. And that, Father, you may be, as a result, glorified through all this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. Go ahead and turn, if you have a Bible, to Ephesians 4. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And we're on page 634 in that Bible. 634. Continuing through our series on Ephesians, um, on August 17th, 1992, my life dramatically changed. For that was the day that I pulled through Lusane Gate in Charleston, South Carolina. It was a hot and steamy day. And I entered my first year at the Military College of South Carolina, the Citadel. And everything changed. The guard at the gate looking all sharp in his uniform, his hat so low you couldn't even see his eyes, just pointed to my battalion. We pulled up in front of the battalion. The cadets were very kind to my father. They would not look at me. They directed my father to where my room would be. And they asked him kindly to leave. And when he did, my life radically changed. Before I knew it, I had a new haircut. I had a new uniform. I had socks up to my thighs and a little PT uniform, little blue shorts and a blue shirt. This was the 90s, so everything was too small. Um, I had a little book in my face and I had a guy yelling in my ear nonstop. And everything was different. And every facet of my life was new. The way I ate was now new. The way I talked was now new. When I could sleep, how I would sleep was now new. When I could go to the restroom, when I could take a shower, everything was new. My name was changed. I was no longer Bill. I was Knob or just Fowler, which a name tag on my chest reminded me of. I didn't have a first name anymore, right? And even even the littlest things, even the way I had to walk changed. I was now to walk at a certain speed at all times. I was only allowed to turn a corner at 90 degrees, right? I couldn't look around. I could only walk in the gutter on the street, 
I couldn't just walk across the grass. I couldn't do anything. Even the simplest thing, the way I walked was new. Everything was different. And there was no going back. Because my dad told me if I quit, I was walking to Philly. So this was it. Everything had changed. And everything was different. And really the passage that we come to today in Ephesians 4, that's really the heart of the passage. Everything is new. Even your walk, a new Walk. There is no going back. And, and what we've been doing the last couple of weeks and months is we've been in the book of Ephesians and Paul has highlighted in the first three chapters what it is to be in Christ. What does it mean? Your new identity is that you are chosen and you are adopted and you are forgiven and you've been made wise and you've been given the spirit and now you are being built into the church and the Jew and the Gentile are no longer alienated. They are one. And you have gifts and you've been sealed and all these great blessings about being in Christ. And in chapter four, then he switches direction. He's not going to explain what that what that is anymore. He's going to say, now that I've given you three chapters of who you are, this amazing calling in Christ. He says, now I want you to balance out the scales. I want you to walk worthy of that calling, not earning it. You can never earn it. But now walk in light of who you are. And the very first thing we talked about was we're supposed to be unified That's a worthy calling. And then last week we looked at we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to mature in our faith. That is a worthy calling. He's going to take a break today and he's not going to give any new commands. What he's going to do is he's going to remind this church and us why there has to be a new way to walk. Why you cannot go back to the old. Now I know in the church what we like is just give me the rules, Bill. Just tell me three things to do and I'll go do them. Because we like to feel good about ourselves. Because we like rules. We don't we really don't give me the why. Just give me the what. Paul's not going to give us the what. The rest of the book will be the what. But he stops because it's important that we understand why. Anybody can manage behavior. They moderately managed my behavior at the Citadel for four years. They kept me in at nights. Right? They, they kept me moderately restrained. Prisons, mo, prisons manage behavior. Cults can manage behavior. Right? But the why matters. It matters. Otherwise, we just turn into a moralistic group of people trusting in our own righteousness. We become legalistic because we do these. We don't drink, chew, go with girls who do. And they do. So we're better than them. Our church doesn't drink. Our church only homeschools. Our church only does this. And so we're better than that church. It becomes rules. It becomes moralism. And it is not following Jesus. So the why matters. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of moralist good people. Right? And so he's going to remind us this morning. We're going to talk about why you can't go back. Why it has to be different. Why is there a new walk? Why, why, why? And he's going to give us three reasons in chapter 4 for why. All right? And so let's look at them. Verse 17. We'll start. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord. And this is what Paul's way of, of bringing out his highlighter, his first century highlighter. He's saying, look, this is important. This is a non-negotiable. You could actually translate the word testify. I insist on this. And I insist on it, what? In the Lord. He's saying, look, based on my authority of who I am in Jesus, I'm saying this. Jesus agrees with me. This is important. He says this, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, in the Greek text, no longer is right up front for emphasis. It's, this is what I insist. No mas. No more. Walking. And walking is his metaphor. We see it constantly for the way you live your life. 
There's no moss living your life like the Gentiles. And Gentiles is Paul's way of saying he's not anti-Gentile. He loves the Gentiles. He's reaching the Gentiles. But his, his metaphor for those who don't know God, those who do not have a relationship with Jesus, those who don't have followed Jesus. He's saying, this is what I'm telling y'all. There, you cannot walk anymore. There's got to be a difference. There's got to be a change. There's got to be a distinguishing effect on your life from the way the Gentiles live. There just has to be. You cannot live like that anymore. Right? You cannot live that way. And the first reason is in verse 17 through 19. But let me give it to you right here. Because it contradicts who you are. It, it is a contradiction of who you are. There was a fundamental difference at eight, between 8 o'clock and 8.15 on August 17th, 1992 in my life. Fundamental huge difference between 8 and 8.15. Life shattering difference. And that's what he's saying. When you are following Christ, when you are a follower of him, there ha- it, it contradicts who you are to not be different. It contradicts the very nature of who you are. And he's going to highlight six, six things in this text of what we were. Quite honestly, six depressing things. So we'll move quickly through them. But this is what he's, he's saying. This is who you were. Verse 17. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. What? In the futility of their mind. They walk in the futility of their mind. The word futility translated elsewhere in the New Testament is translated vain, emptiness, right? Worthlessness. Their minds, their purpose is futile. What they're striving after is emptiness. You say, that's a harsh statement. That's why Paul is in jail. That's why he's arrested. And that's why they'll cut his head off eventually. Because he tells them the truth. He says, the world is living a futile existence apart from Christ. It's emptiness. And they want to hear and they want everything validated and how smart and and insightful and everything they do is right. And they got all the PhDs and Paul says, futile. But everyone's doing it, futile. But I have all these experts that say, futile. Dr. Phil, futile. Dr. Drew, futile. All of them, futile. Futile. Why? Verse 18. They're darkened in their understanding. I don't see many nocturnal creatures out there. And if you're not nocturnal, you don't see well at night. He says they're darkened in their understanding. It is dark. They don't see well. They may throw out terms like tolerance and diversity and and inclusivism and pluralism and then throw an ism on the back and it sounds impressive. And they say, well, we got more people. We got more people in here in the dark voting that this is right. You're in the dark. And Jesus says you're in the dark. And that's what Paul says elsewhere. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded them. Their minds are blinded. They don't see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. They're they're darkening their understanding. Right? Back to verse 18. What else? Because they're darkened, they're alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance. They are separated. But I'm a good person. I recycle. I pay my taxes. I'm spiritual. Key word these days, spiritual. I'm a spiritual. Any spirituality that is not surrounding Christ is idolatry, right? For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning. First commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. If you're spiritual and there's no Christ, then you're loving yourself. So you're, you're alienated from God. And in their alienation, they're, they're ignorant. And the word doesn't mean they don't know. It's they stiff arm. They're hardened. They, they say, I don't, it's willful ignorance. I don't want it. This is what Paul says in Romans. Although they knew God, they knew God. They did not honor him or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking. There's our word. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise. They became fools and then they become idolaters. And they know God, but they don't want him. 
The heavens are declaring the glory of God is what, Paul, is what the psalmist says. They don't want to hear about it. They want to hear about how we became something out of an explosion and you were a monkey man and now you're you. And that's smart. And so, no, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't need to change. You need to change. I don't, I don't need God. You might need him, but that's a crutch. I don't need him. I don't need him. And they stiff arm and their hearts are hard. And because they do, verse 19, they've become callous. They're calloused in their hardness of heart. They've given themselves up. And you know what a callous is? A callous is just dead skin. Musicians know it. Those who play string instruments, when you pick up a string instrument the first time, it hurts. And you've got to build up calluses on your fingers. So now I don't feel anything in these tips because there's dead skin because I play a guitar. And, it, and it's because I put pressure over and over and over and over and work through the pain and work through the pain until I didn't feel the pain anymore. And he says, look, they stiff arm God, they stiff arm God, they stiff arm God. They say, no, 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 until their heart is hard and then they no longer have a desire. And so God gives them over. They're given up to sensuality. Right? They're given up to these things. This is what Paul says again in Romans. God gave them up to the lust of their heart. They didn't want him, so he gives them over to impurity. And the words here in the text, sensuality, do we see sensuality in our culture? Practicing every time of impurity, the word is used in the, outside the Bible of a guy who's a streaker in the temple. Okay, they had streakers in the first century, not just in, you know, European soccer. Right? And this guy streaks through the temple just to make everyone mad. And that's this word. Just kind of open, do whatever you want. Right? Does this sound familiar? And, and we live in a world that we're so enlightened. We have PhDs and we have Dr. Phil. And look how far we've come from Peking man or Slope man or whatever man the guy is. Look how far we've come. But in the end, we still end up naked and drunk. That's what, that's what happens. So far we've come. And we have a culture that doesn't even blush. We don't know how to blush anymore. As Jeremiah says of the Israelites, we don't have a culture that knows how to blush. 200 years ago, a man stands up and says, this is right, this is wrong. He's considered a blessing to the nation. Now he has hate speech. But the person who will encourage any kind of licentiousness or endorse anything that the Bible says is wicked, that person is courageous. That person is a free spirit. And that's what he says at the end of Romans. And here, they know God's decree. Those who practice such things deserve to die. And they don't only give approval, they give approval to those who practice. It's good. Right? Look, and and again, this is, I'm depressed. Again, I did it earlier. I'm depressed. I feel bad. Because this is what we look around. But the purpose of Paul is not to bring us in depression. It's not to say, oh, woe is the world. Oh, it's so bad. Ephesus, by the way, was a lot worse than, than Savannah. The temple of Diana was there. It was open temple prostitution. You think, oh, it's so bad in America. Nothing on early Ephesus. Nothing. And the point is not to get us to feel bad. It's, it's to say, look, this isn't who you are anymore. Remember the context. There's a new way to walk. And if you do not walk new, then it contradicts who you are. You're not fuel in your mind. You're not, you don't have an aimless purpose. You have great purpose. The manifold wisdom of God is made known in his church to bring glory through his church. Romans says, for none of us lives to ourselves, or none of us dies to ourselves. For if we live, we live to the Lord. Or if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We have great purpose. We're not futile. We're not darkened in our understanding. Chapter 5, verse 8. He says, walk of children of the light. You're not bumping around into stuff. You see. You're not alienated. You were once alienated, but now you've been brought near. Chapter 3. You're not ignorant. 
You have the mystery of the will of God known to you in the church. Now, you're not hard and calloused anymore. The spirit of God is in you. He's given you a heart of clay. He has sealed you. You're not greedy for stuff anymore. You have no need to be greedy because you have all the riches of Christ. And what he's trying to get their attention and our attention is this. You have to be new because that's who you are. If you're not, it contradicts who you are. It just can't do it. It's like my kids. If they're my kids, they can't root for the Braves. It's just who we are. It's just not who we followers are. It's, it contradicts everything. You are new. You are new. So that's what he's getting at. Right? So the question for us is this morning, are some of us walking in newness? Look, Jesus does not need 007 Christians. All right? Not in America, certainly. There's no secret agent. Got to blend in. There's supposed to be a distinction. Not weird, but there's supposed to be a difference. Right? Now, can Christians fall into some of these things? Of course they can. All the time they do. But this is not an encouragement that, oh, well, this is just Christians that are rebelling. He's talking about non-believers here. And so if you're seeing this pattern in your life and this is lining up with you, then I don't know your heart, but there's a potential that you don't know Jesus. That you've never been born again. That maybe you've got the facts, but you don't have the real deal. Maybe you've missed it 18 inches from your head to your heart. Right? He's talking about those who are apart from God. He said, look, there's got to be a difference. There's a new walk. Is there a dead space in some of your hearts because you've said no, 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 no to God so many times. And you, you used to care about that sin, but now you've just given yourself over. Right? Are you still staying out three in the morning, having a few too many with the, with the boys? Still dressing in a way, a little sensuous? The way, the way you strive after stuff, is, is there a break with the old habits? That's the question. Right? You cannot, it, it's, a, it's a contradiction. It contradicts who you are in Jesus, where he's been talking about for three chapters. Now, that, now that's, the, that's the negative aspect. Let's, let's, let's be positive. Let's talk, let's talk about Jesus, because he's our hope, right? And that's where he goes next. He goes to the light, verse 20. And I love the contrast here. But... That is not the way that you learned Christ. Right? And I love the language. Think about that. It's the only place in the entire New Testament that he uses that kind of language. That's not what you learned when you learned Christ. And it's the language of intimacy. It's the language of relationship. It's not just the facts, man. It's not just, I memorized the confession. I got the confession down, every word. Or I just got, I read Grudem Systematic and I know all about the Trinity. And I know all about the work of Christ. It's not talking about that. Like, I can know all the facts about Abe Lincoln. I can go see the movie. I can look at the pictures. I can read the speech. I can go see where he was shot. I can do all those things, but I can never learn Abe Lincoln because Abe Lincoln is dead. But Jesus is alive. And so he says, you learned, you know Christ. You have an intimate relationship with the Savior of the world. And this is not the Jesus you learned. This is assuming, he says, verse 21, assuming that you have, right? Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in him. And this is a first class condition in the Greek. And, and so it's assumed to be true. So if you have the NIV, it says, surely you have heard of him. Because it kind of makes that interpretive call. But it's not questioning whether they've actually heard him. He's affirming it. He's saying, this is not the Jesus. I know that you know. I know that you heard about him. I know you were taught in him. And you know how he knows? He was there three years doing it. 
Three years, he spent more time in Ephesus than anywhere else. He, three years, he taught there. And this is not the Jesus you were taught in. This is not the truth. And notice he associates truth with Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is not the Jesus I taught you. I taught you of a Jesus of purity. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. I taught you about a Jesus who was holy and loving and kind. I taught you about a Jesus who said, if you see sin in me, then my whole ministry is invalid. But if you don't, you better listen. I taught you about a Jesus who... who who validated his ministry by amazing miracles. They were so valid that even his enemies had to admit that they were real, but they attributed them to Satan because they can't deny the miracle. So I taught you about a Jesus who claimed to be God, who died on a cross as your substitute, who rose again physically, who ascended into heaven, who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, who is waiting for the kingdom to be given to him, who will return one day. That's who the Jesus I taught you about. And so not only can, does there have to be a new walk because it contradicts who we are, but it has to be because it contradicts who Jesus is. It contradicts the very nature of who Jesus, who you are in, in Christ who you take everywhere you go. You go to SCAD campus, you take Jesus. You go to Gulfstream, you take Jesus. You go to Savannah State, you take Jesus. You go to Tarjay, you take Jesus. You go to the 7-Eleven, you're taking him. Into your kitchen, you take him. To your neighbor, everywhere you go, you are taking the name of Christ if you are in him. And so it con- if there's not a newness of walk, then it contradicts who he is. We, we live now, this is what the theologians call karam deo. It's a Latin word, two words, that means in the sight of God. That you live your life now in the sight, in the presence and under the authority of God. My two youngest, Tripp and Seth, this week they found their brother's iPod when he was gone. They snuck into his bed and stole it. And they are under the impression that they put a blanket over their heads. No one can see them. And see, in our house, when it's quiet downstairs early in the morning, that is a sign that sin is taking place. <laughs> okay. And so they go downstairs and my wife finds two little ones playing doodle something. Right? But like, how did you see us? We're under the blanket. Right? And sometimes as Christians, we think, oh, no one sees me. Or we forget that you live Karam Deo. In the presence of God. And look, I tell you these things. This is a hard message. I, I'm not, I always would rather bring a message of joy and happiness. I promise you. It's easier. And this is a hard message for me to bring. Because I am a broken sinner as much as you guys. But I love you and I am called to serve you well and tell you the truth. And you are not going to stand before Bill Fowler one day. And you're not going to stand before a mirror of yourself. You will stand before Almighty Jesus. And I have to tell you what he says. You are living in light of him now. And we're broken and we're not perfect. And we have all sorts of issues and we know that. But that's why we have a savior and that's why we have the gospel. So that when we do fail, that we go back to a savior who loves us. And we repent and he embraces us. And he never was far. Right? But when we don't walk in the newness of life, we contradict who he is. We take his name where we go. You have to, there's got to be newness. It's a new, you cannot go back contradicts who you are it contradicts who jesus is and one more thing it contradicts what what the scriptures teach what they were taught when paul was there he says you were taught in truth verse 21 and then he tells them in verses 22 through 24 the context of what he taught them for three years he said this is what i taught you and i can tell you i never taught you to just live it up and do what you want and it doesn't matter because you're forgiven that's not the message that paul taught them what he taught them was as follows look at verse 22 
He says, what I taught you is this, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now, the tense of the verb in the Greek is the aorist tense. It looks a completed action. It is a past tense thing. He's not telling them to put it off. He is telling them what he had told them. And what he told them when he was there for three years was that you put off at one time, past tense, you put off the old self, the old person before Christ. The one that belongs to your former manner of life. You put him off. He's gone. You made a fundamental break. You drew a line in the sand. Some of you ran the mud run last week. You didn't come to church in your mud run outfit. I didn't see anybody. Why? Because it was gross and it was dirty. And what you did when you got home is you took it off and you threw it out. Or you threw it in the wash to be cleansed. Why? You threw it away from you. It was, it's, that's, that's the picture here. You took off the old man. When you followed Christ... When you turn from your sin and you turn from the worship of idols, of yourself and materialism and workaholism and all the isms, when you did that, you said, I am going to now worship Christ and Christ alone. And you made a fundamental break and the old guy is, was gone. And now you said you're going to follow truth. The one who says he's the way, the truth and the life. So you're putting off the former manner of life, which is not true. It's corrupt, it says. It's, it's corrupt through deceitful desires. Do we still have those desires even though we have a new heart? Yes, they're still there. And they will be until we're glorified. There's a battle raging on now. But now Jesus gives you the ability to resist. But you have to understand that those desires that are there and they're very real are deceitful. Are they strong? They are strong, some of them. But they are deceiving. So I I feel like walking out of my spouse. That's what I feel like doing. I want to walk away. It's a deceitful desire. I want to click the mouse just on that one time. It's a deceitful desire. I want to have just a few more just to take the edge off, just to get to sleep. One more pill, one more this. It's a deceitful desire. I want to buy that outfit. I know it's a little risque, but it makes me feel good for people to look at me. It's a deceitful desire. I want to give that person a piece of my mind just one more time. Just once, Lord. Just let me have once, like Samson, one more time. It's a deceitful desire. I want to cut that person on Duran off so bad. I want to pull up next to them. The most evil road in America, Duran Avenue. <laughs> at five to six o'clock. Victory Drive is a close second. Deceitful desire. I'm physically attracted to that person. They're, they're cuter than this, my spouse. Deceitful desire. And look, let me just say this, because this is very real. We live in a culture, and and this is an issue in our church, and we're not shaded. We have people in the church that struggle with same-sex attraction, whether it's because of their past, whether it's because of whatever, and they got saved out of it. And that is a very real struggle. And if that's you, I know the world is just saying, give in and just follow your heart. It is a deceitful desire. I know it's real, but it's a deceitful desire. And the advice of the world, just follow your heart. The way the Bible would translate that is, you mean follow your deceitful desires because the heart is desperately wicked. Don't don't follow your heart. You guard your heart and you follow Jesus. And sometimes following Jesus means I deny myself. And we don't like denial because denial doesn't give us what we want. But Jesus says, you want to follow me? And these are his words, not mine. You need to take up your cross. You need to deny yourself and you need to follow me. And sometimes denial hurts. But that's what it's talking about. Denial. So, so you put it off. This is what I taught you. you t- I taught you that you put off that old guy. That you made a break. 
But he also taught him something else. Verse 23. I taught you also here that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The tense changes here. It was a past tense. Now it's a present tense. I taught you that you put off the old guy, but I taught you that you have to constantly be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There needs to be renewal. Why? Because there's all these lies about everything in there. And you're, bar- you're just barraged by everything, whether it's commercials or media or TV or movies or whatever and music and all this stuff is going in and you're buying those lies. And so you have to replace those lies with truth. And, and it's effective. You think, oh, I, I don't buy it. Really? How many of us have run out at nine o'clock at night and bought Oreos? Why? Because there was a commercial, right? We've done it. We've gotten a milkshake. We've gotten something at Sonic because we saw something. Okay, media is all over. And so there's lies. And so you have to renew. And we've always used this example of this here because it works. But some of you are still using and have not repented yet. PCs. Still using Windows. I know. Windows 8, Windows 7, Windows XP, whatever it is. And what you need to do is you need a new way of thinking. You need a Mac. And those who have switched over understand that there is a change that takes place. You go from broken viruses to something that works. You go to something that is difficult and confusing to something that is simple. Right? But there is a definite change. And the idea is this. You have the broken PC mindset before you are saved. And it's got all the lies and all the viruses and all the everything else. And what you need is a new way of thinking. You need an Apple way. Right? You need to change and you need to put truth in your mind. Your mind needs to be renewed and the old lies need to be replaced with truth. The old lies about sexuality, that it won't impact your marriage. It doesn't really matter. It's just a computer. It's just a book. It's just a movie. It doesn't a big deal. We're just, we're just trying it out. We're living together beforehand to see if we fit. Whatever it is, okay, you need to, you need to replace the lie with truth that God has created the relationship between husband and wife is beautiful and is exciting and is passionate and it is great, but it is in that context that it is great and everywhere else it's dangerous. God has created money and he's created it to provide for us and so that we can work hard, but it is not to be worshipped. You need to replace that lie with truth. People pleasing, I need to do a certain thing. I need to look a certain way. I need to act a certain way. I need to talk a certain way so people will like me, so people will accept me. No, you are already chosen. You are adopted. You are as loved as you were ever going to be in Christ. You need to replace the lies with truth. The barrage of stuff. And it might just be simply... Reading a chapter of scripture in the morning before you go to work. Start with Ephesians 4. Start with Ephesians 5. You don't have to start memorizing Ezekiel to be a holy Christian. Just read a little scripture and renew your mind with truth. What what I do with my son every morning on the way to Veritas Academy downtown. I just put a little Bible app on my phone. And we just listen to a chapter. It's got all, you know, classical music. Oh, and Moses went up. It's kind of fun. But it's just renewing our minds and just in the morning preparing us for the day. It doesn't make it better and worse. It's just renewing our minds and purposely putting truth in because there's so much junk that we're barraged with. And, it, and you have to be purposeful. Renewing your mind. Or maybe renewal comes from repentance. When God says this is not a good direction, how do you respond? Do you continue to go that direction or do you turn? That's all repentance is. It's just changing direction. God says stop, turn around. You stop and turn around. That's renewing your mind. Right? Whatever it is to get some truth in here so that it gets into your heart. That's what we need to be. Right? Whatever that is. 
to renew your mind. He says, I taught you that you put off the old. I taught you you constantly have to be renewed. I love one of my favorite pastors says this. The most important decision you'll make every single day is not what food you put in your mouth. The most important decision will impact you and your marriage and your kids and your grandkids and your life and your future and your legacy. The most important decision every day is what you put in your mind. Right? The mind, the eyes are the, the gate to the soul. Right? And so he says, I told you to renew it. I told you to constantly renew your mind. And let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So you, took, you put him off, the old man. You're constantly renewing. And finally, my favorite, the last one. I also taught you this, to put on the new self. And this is back to that past tense. I taught you that when you put off the old, that you put on a new self. The one that is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, religious people, they tell you you need to be good. You need to be good. You need to be holy. You need to be righteous. You need to try, 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 try. Paul says, no, 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 don't try harder. That's not following Jesus. You'll try and fail. You'll try and fail. Some of you are trying and failing because you're trying harder and you're trying apart from Christ. He says, look, you already put on the new man. It's done. Right? It's done. When I showed up at the Citadel, 815, they gave me a new uniform. I had it for four years. They clothed me in their deal. And when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, he clothes you with his righteousness. He closes you with his holiness. He gives you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness through the Holy Spirit. So no temptation now is overtaking you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. With every single temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it because you have the Holy Spirit. He says, so you have been clothed in real righteousness, not fake holiness, not fake man-made. I do this. I don't drink, chew, go with girls and do. You've been, you put on the new self created after the likeness of God himself in true righteousness, in true holiness. So you are no longer an object of God's wrath. You are an object of his love. You are no longer guilty. You are forgiven. You're not alienated. You've been reconciled. God is not against you. He is for you. He is not angry with you. You are the object of his love. Your debt is not something you have to pay. He has already paid it. You don't have to clean yourself up. He has already cleansed you. And so what he's just saying now is just remember who you are. Balance out the scales. Live in light of the fact that you've been clothed. So when you wake up in the morning, here's the challenge this week. When you take off the jammies and you put on the outfit for the day, remember that you've been clothed in Christ and his righteousness. And when you walk out the door to go to public, so wherever you're going, to work, to school, just remember now you are walking in newness of life. Like it is a new day with your clothes on. It is a new life with new holiness from Jesus himself. It's just a matter of a change in mind and renewing your mind. And that's what he's saying. It contradicts anything else, contradicts who you are, it contradicts who Jesus is, and it contradicts what the whole of Scripture teaches, that you are new in Christ. You don't have to earn it. You just have to live it out by the power of the Spirit and Christ's unrighteousness. Right? That is what we're talking about, church. That is why you cannot go back. It is not who you are. It is not who Jesus is. It is not what Scripture teaches. Man, they're having fun upstairs. They're cheering the sermon on. I hope my kid's in that class. I want to hear what's going on later. We just love Jesus here. That's what's going on upstairs. I'd rather have that than quiet, I tell you. Ask yourself this. We're going to, wor- we're going to worship. And look, this is my heart for the church. Not that we're perfect. Because you know what perfect people do? They turn arrogant. I want a group of people who are just humble. Because they know that they've been saved by grace through faith. 
I want a people who, who come to Jesus every day, thanking him for the grace of God that saved us and clothed us in his righteousness. Because let me tell you, I was a pagan wreck at the citadel. And I managed my behavior well, and I excelled as far as you could excel as a cadet at Citadel, and I was on a path for hell. And Jesus rescued me, and he opened my eyes to my sin, and he showed me his grace. And before that day, I I could have quoted more scripture than most people in this room. Drew probably had me, but not many others. Because I grew up in a home that the Bible was there, and I went to church, but I didn't know Jesus. And my life was no different than every other Citadel cadet who was out boozing on the weekend and chasing girls. And God saved me and he changed my life. And am I still broken? I absolutely am. But I am forgiven. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that if I were to fall dead on this stage today, that I would be in the presence of my Savior because of what he has done. And that is what I want for y'all. And I want people's lives just to move towards him and to change because of their love for Christ that we would balance out the scales. I don't care how big we get. I don't care how nice our building is. I want this church, CBC, to be known as a church who walks in a manner worthy of the gospel, who walks in newness of life and looks back over a year and says, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm closer to Jesus than I was. And if that's not you today, if you're not heading in the right direction, here's your response. Just turn around. Because you will find that your Savior is standing right there behind you. Because he goes after the one lost sheep And leaves the 99 behind. That is the value of you to your Savior. He will leave the 99 and go after the one. And if you're headed in a bad direction. Look back at the cross. Look back at what he's done. Repent and turn. And walk in newness of life. And if you're not a Christian here. And and with this size of crowd. There's probably someone that's not. Maybe you think you're a Christian because you were baptized. Or maybe you're just here for the first time. Or you don't understand the gospel. Here, Here it is. You're a sinner separated from God. Jesus loved you so much that he died and took your place on a cross. He rose again declaring that victory has been victory has been given over death and over Satan. And if you turn from your sins and worship him, believe in him. He is your God now, that he took your sin. You believe what he has done, that he has died for you, that he has rose again. Whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Whoever believes in Jesus and what he's done and who he is, all that, that you will have eternal life and you will be a Christian. You don't have to pray a prayer. don't have to do something. No, you don't have to do anything. You believe. You believe. You don't want me to come down front. No, I want you to believe that you were separated and that Jesus died for you and he loved you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not, because he will give you what you want. And you'll find it's not what you want. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we invite you to participate with us. The men are going to come forward. They're going to pass out the elements. Just hold it there. Spend some time thinking, meditating, about the body of Christ broken for you, about the blood of Christ shed for you. And then I'll come back up and I will lead us as a church, as a body. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're a member here or not, doesn't matter. If, if, if you know for certain that your sins are forgiven through Christ, we invite you to celebrate with us. Let me pray uh, and then we'll celebrate. Father, I, I, I thank you for the gospel and Jesus' goodness to us. I'm a, still a needy man. And I am fallen, but you are so good to us. Continue to change our lives, Lord. Continue to remind us of the newness of life you call us to. 
Lord, if someone in here is trusting in their goodness and their righteousness, show them that it is filthy rags and let them put their trust in you. Lord, if someone is moving in a bad direction and they're, they're walking in the deceitfulness of, of the flesh, show them the lie and love them back to yourself. Lord, we want to glorify you. We want to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the world. We want to walk worthy of this great and high calling you've given us. And so I ask that you would do that in us, Lord Jesus, please, for your name's sake.